Tonight we're concluding the series on miracles. Tonight we're concluding the series on miracles. In the very first week we started this series, Heather gave us a definition of what a miracle is. And this is how she defined it. It's right up here. She said it's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable or explained, another word for explicable, is not able to be explained by natural or scientific laws that is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So it's something that happens in your life, something that you experience. Hey, if you got an egg, can you just like, just, I don't know, throw it away. Um, It's something in your life that happens that just can't be explained by natural coincidence. Like, you can't just be like, no, no, this is why, like, science doesn't make sense. Like, the order of things doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's something in your life that just simply doesn't make sense other than, hey, there was someone divine that was at work. And here's what you need to understand is that we believe that that divine agency is the same God of this Bible. That he's the one and he's the only one that can do miracles. It's the God of the Bible. And we get to experience the God of the Bible. You may have never heard this before. We get to experience him in three ways. He's called the triune God. We get to experience him in three ways. As God the Father, as God the Son, which we know is Jesus, and as the Holy Spirit of God that lives in people who come to believe in what Jesus has done for them, who come to a saving faith. And all three of them together do miracles in our world. I believe that miracles still happen. I believe that God can still do miracles, that they still go on. And I believe that the miracles in God's word still happen or, and, and did happen for real. But here's the thing about a miracle. I need you to hear this because you may be misled in your life one day. Here's the thing about a miracle. Miracles always say more about the person who is performing them than about the person they were performed on. So if you're here and you got a shriveled hand and God had a miracle and he healed your hand, it's going to say more, the miracle is going to say more about God than it will be about you, right? It doesn't say anything necessarily about you, but it says about something about the characteristic of God. They attest to the character of who God is. And so this whole few weeks that we've done this, you need to understand, the whole past few weeks, the the whole point of showing you the miracles of Jesus was that you would know the character of God, of who he is and how he cares about people. And tonight I want to share two miracles with you. I want to share two miracles with you. One is the greatest miracle that I've ever heard about, and the second one is the greatest miracle I've ever experienced personally. I'm going to share two miracles. I'm going to pray for us real quick. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for giving us this place where we could come just like this, where we could get owned at Nine Square. God, where we could come and worship and where we could learn and where we could have friends and people who are as close as family. And God, thank you for being in this place. God, thank you bringing us tonight, would you speak clearly tonight? God, would you speak through me? God, would you limit distractions? God, there's so many things calling for our attention. So many messages we could send. So many posts we could see. God, so much stuff. 
God, would you focus us? Would you divinely focus us? Would people walk out of here tonight, God, and say, man, that was a miracle that I focused? God, would you move and act in this time? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So two miracles, two miracles. The first one, the first one is, is the greatest miracle I've ever, I've ever heard about, ever read about, and you actually find it in God's Word. You actually find it in the Bible. It was written by a guy named John. Ben, this morning, actually talked about where we're going to kind of go. He read the part of the story that I'm not going to read, that I kind of am going to skip over. But this dude named John is a guy who um, hung out with Jesus, who spent time with Jesus all the time. And he's a, he, he's a guy who saw firsthand what Jesus did. And he writes this account. He writes this account. And what we're going to see at the end of the story is he writes it for one reason. That people would come and find the account. That they would read the account. That they would believe and find life in Christ like he has found life. That was his whole point. That was the whole point. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to sell anything. He wasn't trying to make himself famous. He was simply saying, man, I want you to experience what I have experienced. This is what he says. Um, it start, we're going to start in, and I'm going to kind of skip a little bit for the sake of time, in John 19, verse 16. And coming up to this point, Jesus, who was God on earth, who is the Messiah, who if you look at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the Bible says, hey, God's going to send someone to save the whole earth. I was telling my son, we were talking about Adam, um, I mean, Abraham and Isaac. Anyone know that story, Abraham and Isaac? We were talking about Abraham and Isaac. It's a crazy story in the Old Testament. And Abraham has to take Isaac up on a mountain. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your son crazy story, right? He says, go up to the mountain and kill your son for me. And Abraham takes his son to the top of a mountain, straps him down, and gets ready to kill him. Now I'm telling my, wow. I'm telling my son this story. And, and about Isaac and how Abraham is about to kill his son, and, and he sees the ram. He's like, why is the ram got to die? And I was like, dude, He's going to kill his son. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But like, the, you see the ram. Like he saw the picture. And it came to the story of like, something always has to die for sin. I said, they were sinful. And so, yes, as cute as that ram looks in that cartoon, he had to kill it. But something always has to die for sin. And Jesus said, I'll be the sacrifice that dies for your sin willingly. Well, he gets to the governor. They take him. They arrest him. They think they're owning the moment, but really he's running the moment. And they take him and they arrest him. And they, they bring him before the people and the people say, crucify him. Crucify him. Like we want to kill him. And so this is where we pick up in verse 19. I'm sorry, 16. It says, then he handed him over to be crucified. The chiefs and the, and, and the government officials, they handed him over to be crucified. And then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called a place, the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Just let me explain what crucifying means real quick, because we just fly by that. It's when they took a live person and they laid him down on a cross. So a long one this way and a long one that way. And he put his arms out and he crossed his legs. And then they took a nail, but more like um, a railroad spike. And they run it 
through your wrist between your bones, okay? So that way, your bones and ligaments can hold you up on the cross. And they take one and they send it through your legs right there so that that way your legs will hold you up on the cross as well. And eventually what they'll do is they'll break your legs. So that way you can't hold yourself up. And when you can't hold yourself up in all the pain and in all the agony, you suffocate. That's where Jesus was going. It says there they crucified him and two others with him. One on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had made a sign and put it on the cross and it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And Jesus did this willingly. And he did this, believe it or not, with you in mind. So just like you and my, you're like, but that was so long ago. But he's the God who knows all. And he did it with your soul, with you in mind. Insane. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided him into four parts. So Jesus is alive on the cross. They stand the cross up and he's alive, hanging on the cross by nails. And they're dividing his clothes and they took his tunic, which is seamless and woven in one piece from the top. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see who gets it. And what they didn't even know is they were fulfilling. This is what it says. They were fulfilling the prophecies when it says that they will divide my clothes among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. And that's what the soldiers did. So in the Old Testament, it says, God will send the sacrifice. He will send the Messiah, God with man, and he will pay the price for all mankind forever. And they're like, yeah, okay, what's this guy going to look like? And in the Old Testament, they said, these are the things that will take place so that you know that that person is the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. Even to the point where soldiers are casting lots for, their, for his clothes. And he's saying, look, I told you this would happen. If you doubt that Jesus is real, you need to go research this part. How many of the prophecies did Jesus fulfill or did other people fulfill for Jesus? It's, it's crazy. It says after this, verse 28, we're going to skip. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. And so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, which is just a tree branch. And they held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The sin has been accounted for. It is finished. I am the sacrifice and I am paying for it. It is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And then John 19, 40 and 42 say, then they took Jesus's body and they wrapped it in linen clothes with the fragrant spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden and no one had been placed in it. 
And they placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby. And so this is all part of what scripture said would happen. Now you need to understand, here's how a Jewish day works. It's kind of different than ours. Like a Jewish day happens, the calendar happens. The next day starts at sunset. So currently if the sun had set already, which will be like in in an hour or so, when the sun sets, it would now be Monday. And it would be Monday until tomorrow night when the sun sets. And then it would be Tuesday. And so this was on a Friday. The sun had set, the sun had rose. It was in the middle of the day on Friday that he had been crucified, taken down from the cross, and then put into a tomb before sunset on Friday night. And Saturday was the end of their week. And that was their Sabbath day. That was a day of rest. That was a day not of working. And they were preparing for the Passover. So it'd be a day of preparation. And as great, you need to hear this, and as loving as what we just read was, this actually isn't the miracle. That there's a lot of people who died on crosses for a lot of different reasons. That if Jesus were to stay dead, it actually isn't enough to pay for our sin today. That this actually isn't the miracle. But what happens next is, In John 20, very next chapter, verse one, it says on the first day of the week, y'all listen, don't miss, don't miss, y'all listen. It says on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus's good friends, came to the tomb early while it was still dark. So it was Saturday all day, and then the sun set, and now it's Sunday, right? And so it's like in the middle of the night, she can't help it anymore. She gets up and she goes to the tomb still very early, And she went running. She saw that the stone had been moved. So they moved a big stone in front of the tomb. And when she went to the tomb, she got there and she saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now you need to understand the one Jesus loved, his real name was John, who actually also is the guy that's writing this. And so I just think it's kind of comical. John's like, and the one that Jesus loved, which was me, right? And he said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And now if you filled in the gap, we're going to jump to verse 19. But if you filled in the gap, what happens is Peter and John start running. And then John writes, Peter was running, but the other disciple passed him and beat him to the tomb. And was like, and I was faster than Peter. And he gets to the tomb. They get in the tomb like, yo, it's empty. This is crazy. And so they go back and they tell the other disciples. And then Mary actually sees Jesus. And she's like, yo, he's like, yo, go back and tell the disciples you saw me and I'm coming to meet with them. And so in verse 19, hear it, hear it. This is important. It says, and when it was evening on the first day of the week, so now it's still Sunday, she went in the morning. She's like, oh, snap, it's open. He, she ran to the disciples. She's like, he's gone. They went and they're like, oh my gosh, he's gone. And then they went back and then she was like, hey, Jesus, this is awesome. And then they're eating dinner that night. Whew. And it was evening on the first day and the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. They were scared. Jesus said, go out and and tell people about me. And they were like, lock down, we're freaking out. So they're freaking out. Just know, I don't know if you've ever been home alone and you hear a sound outside and you're so scared and you're like, who's there? This is scary. And you got 911 and you're just like, I'll press send. I'll do it, right? Like, and you're like yelling out, the cops are on the way, right? And they have it door locked because they feared the Jews. And then Jesus came 
and stood among them and said to them, so they're like, man, I'm so scared. We're freaking out. And then Jesus is like, peace be with you. Right? And they're like, ah! right. Having said this, he showed him them his hands and he showed them his side where they actually, when he was dead, they pierced a hole in his side and it says blood and water poured out. And so even he defeated death, he had come back from the dead, that he had died for sins and then he rose again. This is the miracle. This is the good stuff. This makes the difference. Listen, and he showed him his hands and he showed him his sides and the disciples rejoiced when they saw, when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, this is important, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them. Now that sounds creepy. I get it. And he said, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But I feel like, like, you know, my kids breathe on me a lot. Like they just like to blow, like get a straw and just blow it in my face because they think it's hilarious. I don't know. It's the grossest thing on earth. But I feel like if Jesus was like breathing on you and the Holy Spirit came on you, it was awesome. And it says they received the Holy Spirit. He says, my purpose is that you would go out. He tells them, he says, man, my purpose is that you would go out and that you would introduce people to me. Now, what a miracle. And what, what, what about the greatest purpose he could have given man? I just want you to hear that. Like, I don't know what you're shooting for in life today. Like, I don't know what your goal is in life today, but I just need you to hear that for a second. The greatest purpose you could have would be to be a representative for the God of the universe. He's like, yo, I'm choosing you to represent me. And you get to walk around and be like, yo, that's my dude. Like, you should know him. Like, that's the coolest thing. And yet we take it for granted. That's the coolest miracle I've ever read about. The coolest miracle that I ever saw or experienced. So I'm going to be real quick was when it happened, when I understood this miracle that I read about. See, when I understood this miracle that I read about, then the coolest miracle that could have ever happened to me happened when I was seven years old, that I had heard about who Jesus was, that I knew about Jesus, and my parents talked about Jesus. My dad was a pastor. He raised me in the church. But something happened when I was seven on a Wednesday night at an Awana program. And this guy named Ray Pereira is standing up there and he says, do you want to know who Jesus is? If you do, stand up and come forward. In my little seven-year-old mind, I said, there ain't no way I'm standing up in front of all these people. And so then I went home and I was like, mom, I want to know Jesus. Like, I want to ask Jesus into my life. Right there in the, in the moment on the bottom bunk of my bunk bed with my mom and my dad, I prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sin and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I invited him in. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you from ever since then, I've been following the Lord and it's been amazing. And look at me, I'm a pastor now. Now, actually, when I hit the sixth grade, my priorities changed. I don't know what it was about the sixth grade. I just stopped caring. I stopped caring about living for God. Like I would still go to church. I would still play the role at church. People 
I thought I was a good faker, but I think they saw through me now, but they didn't act like they did in the moment that I could put it all together. I could check my language. I could check my jokes. I could check everything at the door and I would come in. I'd be the pastor's kid and I'd be great. And then I'd go to school and I'd go to the other areas and I didn't care a lot about Jesus. I didn't speak a lot about Jesus. I didn't care if my friends knew Jesus. I didn't care about them at all. And, and it was the greatest news that I could have ever had was that Jesus could save souls. I had the news that lost people wanted. I had the news that hurting and dying people needed, and I didn't want to share it with anyone. Some of you in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You can relate with that because you're in the same boat where you're like, yo, I go to church, but my friends, nah, they don't really know about my Jesus life. Uh, and for me, you need to understand it was because I was too scared to share. And, and part of me was, I didn't know if I knew enough to share. Like, what if they asked me a hard question when I shared Jesus? And then for some of you, you can really relate with this. I felt like I was too bad to share. Like I had done too many bad things in front of my friends to really tell them about who Jesus was because then they'd be like, yo, weren't you just doing that the other day? And now you're telling me about this and aren't you going to do it again? And I was like, man, that's too much. I'm not willing to give all that up and face that judgment. And then part of me just didn't care enough to share that I had some of these barriers in my life and, and I would go to church and I would do my thing and then I would go do whatever I wanted. And that was kind of my testimony is I knew who Jesus was and there's times where I walked with him, but a majority of the time it was two-sided. And this lasted up until college. I just need you to hear this part. This lasted up until college until over a series of a few years, I had about four people that were really close to me die. And they died over like a couple different years. And, and these are people that I knew or was pretty sure did not know Jesus. That these are people that I still think about of like, man, there's a potential that they are suffering eternally separated from God in this moment. They've never known the joy of a relationship with the Lord. Like even now, right now in the second. And it took what only, I think, what only my heart would take. Like it took, like Jesus knew exactly what I needed and it all like came to this point in the in an IHOP parking lot where I just got a phone call that my best friend had just died and I had could have told him about Jesus and had an influence in his life and yet never, ever wanted to mention anything because I cared too much about how he thought and not enough about his eternity. And God laid on my heart in this moment in an IHOP parking lot, heartbroken, so sad. He said, is this the impact that you want to have on people? I've called you for more than this. Life wasn't perfect after that but I began to consider what God's purpose for doing a miracle in my life was. My challenge for you tonight is that if you have come to a saving faith in Christ, that if you've enjoyed any part of a relationship with God, if you've had any piece of a relationship with God, that you would consider that. What is God's purpose for you tonight? There is no miracle that does not come with a purpose and he's purposed you. 
and you find most satisfaction in that purpose. And I know that's met with some fear. And I know you're like, man, where do I even start? And so I'm going to give you three things and we're going to go to our groups. Three things that may be helpful for you. And the one is this, that you'd be intentional about knowing God. That you'd be intentional about knowing God, meaning spending time with God and trusting God and knowing the character of God and realizing who God is and what he's called you to. See, what God calls you to, he prepares you for. You understand that. So students, you have gone apathetic, some of you, on knowing who God is. Man, I would just encourage you, come back. Come back to a place where you're making God a priority. Second is this, that you would know the message. See, knowing God's word makes it a lot easier to talk about it. We can talk about the things we know really easily. That you would spend time in God's word. That you would make it a point daily to say, I'm going to spend time in God's word. The last one is this, that you would know yourself. That you would recognize the miracle that you have seen Jesus do in your own life. And then you would know your testimony. You would know what Jesus has saved you from and what he saved you for. That you would walk in a relationship with him and be able to communicate about the blessings of that relationship. This is what it says at the end of John. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Listen, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He says he did it so that I may write it, so that you may read it, so that you may know it and experience it. He says, man, it's for your benefit that you would know God and love God and understand his purpose for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going we're gonna to close right now. If you're in here and you're like, man, I, I want to know Christ. I don't know him and I want a relationship with him. God, I, I, I want the forgiveness of my sin that I get it. Something has to die for sin. I get what Jesus has done. And tonight it clicked. And I would invite you in whatever words you have to say, God, forgive me of my sin. God, would you invite, would you come into my life and would you be the Lord of my life and would you help me live for you? You would do that in this moment. And if you did that for the first time, if you're in this place and you say, man, I'm praying that prayer right now. I've done that that you would not leave here without telling a leader, that you tell your small group leader, that you tell me, that we would pray for you and encourage you. We can't walk with Christ alone. God, we thank you for this time. I ask that you'd be in these community groups, that you'd bless those times together. We love you. Speak through our leaders in those moments. Speak through each other. God, help them to speak through one another. God, would you encourage the conversations? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.